Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the magnificent Monday edition of the Yard, I almost, almost said hello out there to all you cool cats and kittens. This is Steve here from Big Dog Rescue. And for those, if you know, you know, it's about the Tiger King. It's so wild. I, I, I watched it, I guess I finished it a week ago, but it is incredible to see how this thing has kind of swept the nation. I'm currently watching Ozark right now. Love the show. Kind of a late, uh, late on the bandwagon, but man, I have loved that show. Spent the weekend binging that. I hope you guys are getting some chances to spend some quality time with the people you love and get some rest. I, I shared with a friend of mine recently that I have rested more mentally over the course of uh, this quarantine than I think perhaps at any point in my life. It's almost like when you're maybe 12 or 13 years old, and you get out for summer break, except there's work to do, you know, but it's just one of those things, not having to get up and, and deal with the hustle and bustle, bringing the kid to school and that sort of stuff, and, uh, you know, it seems like I always have somewhere to be, and so I, I'm taking advantage this time again to get ahead on the next book and, uh, and to get some rest, and uh, I saw a stat last week that said that uh, deaths in America, the, the trend was down, I'm not just talking about virus, I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but just overall, the deaths in America were down, and I think a lot of it's because we're, you know, we're staying home, and there's not as many traffic accidents, that sort of stuff, but uh, it's interesting to see these maps from around the world, to see, uh, you know, how the uh, pollution charts have changed, and that sort of stuff, because um, we're staying home, and I hope that you guys, those of you that can, listen, there's some people that I have learned when you say stay home to them, they get they get a little bit offended because they're having to work. And I'm glad you're having to work. And uh, my hat's off to you uh, for, for the job that you guys do. You guys are well aware that a lot of people out there that, uh, that normally have kind of a thankless job have become much more important to us in American society today. And perhaps that's one of the best things about all of this is that we are having a real appreciation for the people that do a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted. Uh, I went to Walmart yesterday, first time I've been in three weeks, and uh, they've moved the uh, the hand sanitizer, you know, the wipes and everything out there so you can grab one before you grab your buggy. You know, that's probably good thinking. It was always there for us. But I saw another guy yesterday as he was getting ready to put his buggy back. He wiped it off for the next person. And then I see all those people out there stocking those shelves, and we actually had some toilet paper yesterday in Starkville at Walmart. You know, I might have just caused a, uh, a mad dash to Walmart, but uh, they're probably, you know, 150 to 200 packs of toilet paper out there yesterday when I went through. And there was a kid out there and, you know, kind of lining up shelves and that sort of stuff. And I thought, you know, this is a guy ordinarily that would just kind of be in our way, you know, as we kind of work our way down the shopping cart aisles. And that's the shopping aisles with our carts. I looked at that guy and I was like, man, let me get my stuff done and get out of this guy's way. Guy's got an important job to do. And it's a shame it took something like this for us to develop that, that level of appreciation for each other. 
So uh, that's one of the things that I hope that we will bring with us on the other side of this. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. You can still enjoy the great restaurant-quality hamburgers from Bulldog Burger Company by ordering at eatwithus.com. That's E-A-T-W-I-T-H-U-S.com, eatwithus.com. You can order those, or you can just simply call in, place an order, and go by and pick it up. If you're a little bit leery about getting out, and I know some people are, you can have curbside service. They'll be happy to bring it out to you. You can still enjoy the Lauren. You can still enjoy the Brian, the Pimentology Ad Bacon, the Mission, the Smokehouse. You can still get those things. Encourage you to support the local businesses around you as best you can. You still got to eat, right? You still got to eat. You might as well treat yourself to a great restaurant quality hamburger. They'll get you taken care of. Find people that sub supporting two great communities, two locations now to serve you. The flagship right here in Stark Vegas on University Drive and now in, on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. Our top story is uh, not really breaking news, but it is now official. Reggie Perry has declared for the NBA draft. We were told from the beginning, even in the preseason press conference with Ben Howen, that this would be Reggie Perry's final season at Mississippi State. Reggie this year played like an NBA prospect. Other some that I always read the Facebook commentary. Oh, that guy disappears. No, well, he really doesn't. What do you do? Twenty and ten, co-SEC Player of the Year. The guy did what he needed to do. There were times his supporting cast kind of let him down. There were sometimes some big games when uh, we didn't shoot it well from outside, and they were able to collapse on him some. But listen, I think the Reggie Perry experience has been pretty good for us. Went to the NCAA tournament last year for the first time in a decade, and and uh, had a chance to get back this year. I think uh, our guard play had been a little bit better. We'd been back in the tournament, but uh, turns out to be a moot point with no tournament being played this year. So we'll we'll kind of move forward. So what does all this mean? You know, we've had uh, you know five players leave the basketball program, and now Perry makes six. Of course, EJ Datcher not on the active roster this year. So that's uh, you know something to kind of bear in mind too. Is he, you know he was he dressed and he went through warmups, but he didn't play. Uh, and so you're not losing a returning player in that respect. He'll take advantage of a grad transfer opportunity somewhere else. I see Prince Aduro is already out there narrowing his list down to maybe half a dozen schools or so. Best of luck to him as well. But Reggie Perry, the mock drafts are kind of all over with him. Some of them have him undrafted. I've seen one that has him in the first round. That's uh, NBA Draft Net, I think it is. They have him number 20 to Philadelphia, but most have consistently had him in the second round. Here's the thing, though, is what's the NBA going to do about these pre-draft camps and that sort of stuff? That you know, that's uh, Guys like Reggie Perry need those events to kind of play their way into contention and kind of move ahead and have an opportunity to work out in front of scouts. Listen, you've put things on tape and you kind of are who you are, but uh, there are a lot of things you learned. Can this guy take coaching? What does he do in situations like this? And we stress him with this different stimulus, and, you know, and so you, you want to see those things happen. Not sure what happens with all that. You know, the NBA is doing their best to kind of get something together, perhaps uh, put a season together, a miniature season, abbreviated season, but uh, this is part of the bigger picture here is getting the draft. The NBA draft has not been especially kind to Mississippi State over the years. A lot of it's because of the fact that we have not been very good at basketball. I know that hurts a few feelings, but that's the reality of it. So here, here, let's run down the list here. Let's just look this century, and then we'll go back a little bit lower, a little bit later. But in the 2000s, Derek Zimmerman was drafted in the second round uh, by the Golden State Warriors, hung around three years of service. Mario Austin drafted in the second round by the Chicago Bulls. You know, he things didn't work out with him. He goes over to Russia, has a collapsed lung. It's a wild story. Lawrence Roberts drafted in the second round by the Seattle Superhawks, Su Supersonics, pardon me, and uh, then made the move to Memphis, spent a couple of years in the league. Walter Sharp, former Bulldog, transferred to UAB, spent a year with the Supersonics. Jarvis Bernardo, a second-round pick. Miami Heat, spent a couple of years in the league. Arnett Moultrie, our last first-round draft pick, pardon me, yeah, our last first-round draft pick to the Miami Heat, put a couple of years uh, finished up his career in Philadelphia. Former Bulldog Romero Osby transferred to Oklahoma and uh, was drafted in the second round by the Magic. 
never played a season. And then former Bulldog Rodney Hood, of course, transfers to Duke, and uh, it's with the Utah Jazz now in its fifth season. But the last Bulldog, of course, Quindary Weatherspoon, drafted by the, the San Antonio Spurs and uh, expected to make the roster this year. So uh, that's kind of where we are. But, you know, we it's been a, it's been a while. You know, it's been um, – you know, we've had one player drafted since 2012 in a Mississippi State uniform, and that was last year. You know, looking back a little bit later than that, you know, Tyrone Washington was a guy that, that was drafted didn't hang around. Eric Dampier, of course, played 16 years in the league off that Final Four team. Dante Jones put in four. Jeff Malone, the assassin, 13 years in the league. Uh, Ricky Brown spent five years in. Bailey Howell, of course, a dozen or so. But we have not had a very rich basketball heritage when it's coming to professional basketball. I uh, spoke to Timmy Bowers here a couple weeks ago. He's still playing overseas. We've had a lot of guys make a living overseas, but um, not a lot of guys in the National Basketball Association. And so, you know, if the if the mocks hold true, Reggie is likely a second-round draft pick, and you know that second-rounders are, are really guaranteed nothing. And so we'll just have to kind of see how things go. There's some other guys on this roster that I think have the potential. I think DJ Stewart and, of course, uh, Robert Woodard. And, and the latest information we have is that Robert Woodard does plan to return to school. Uh, we'll, we'll have, Paul Jones will have a full recap of what Ben Howland had to say later today. So taking a look at the Mississippi State roster, uh, you know, just let's look at the 1920 roster and kind of see who's coming, who's going. Nick Leatherspoon, of course, uh, expected to be back, and there was a lot of talk last year that perhaps he would be another guy that would, that would move on out this year. Uh, he shall return for his senior year. Reggie Perry, of course, has declared. Elias King has transferred out. DJ Stewart, redshirt freshman. We expect him to come back and be a starter next year regularly and, and uh, really did a good job for State this year down the stretch. Devin Butts is in the transfer portal. Iverson Molinar, we expect him to move into the starting lineup next year. Uh, Robert Woodard, of course, we've mentioned him as uh, you know as a guy that expected to return. Prince Adoro has transferred out. Keyshawn Fazell is transferring out. Tyson Carter has graduated. Abdul Dushar returned. Quentin Post expected to return, and uh, Tulu Smith, transfer from Western Kentucky, will be active next year after uh, after sitting out. And so, plenty of room on this roster on the scholarship rolls for Mississippi State to add some players. Uh, it's it's really interesting, the dynamics behind all of this. And so that's the thing I thought of, well, you know, we're kind of trending in the right direction. You know, the bigger concern for next year, it's just going to be depth. You know, just going to be depth. Now, uh, Ben Howland has routinely played seven or eight. You know, once we get into SEC play, we don't get very deep in the bench. He kind of puts his best players on the floor and uh, works through conditioning to kind of play them a lot of minutes. And so, you know, I think we feel pretty good about the fact that we'll have, uh, you know, Nick and DJ out there at the guards, and then Iverson Molinar probably you play a three three guard lineup next year and have Woodard to do out there. I would suspect that's probably the starting five, but then just kind of finding the rotation behind that—that's the real challenge. And some of that's going to involve some new players, and so we'll see what happens. Obviously, but uh, you know, it looks like next year is a bit of a transition year, and uh, I think Mississippi State needs to find a way to to put a winning basketball team on the floor again and get back to the NCAA tournament. It's one of those things you begin to look at. You know, this year it's an unfortunate situation. Don't know if we'd made the tournament or not. It ends up being a moot point, but the bottom line is we shouldn't have been on the bubble. We should have been already been in the tournament. And that, that's my opinion, and I'll stick with it. At the end of the day, it won't matter. You can't miss a tournament that wasn't played. Hopefully next year that changes. Because I'm, you know, like most of you, I remember those days – you know, when when Alabama and Mississippi State were essentially rivals in the SEC West, back when you actually, when the SEC, we had SEC West championships and East championships, and I don't know why that was, people think it was so uh, bad to do that. But we, we got rid of the divisions because everybody said we should be like the ACC, and I don't know, I don't know that that's helped the league. That was the whole thing is, well, you know, we need, we need to just rank them one through four. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much that matters. But, you, but we used to play Alabama every year to win the West. That was always, uh, you know, for the, the, the better years of the Stansberry era, we had a great rivalry with Mark Gottfried in Alabama. I mean, we, we absolutely hated them. We did. And you had players like Kennedy Winston out there and Eric Shelton. It's like we, we knew their roster. 
almost as well as we knew ours. It's because of the fact that we'd, we'd break it down. We'd watch them play because we hated the fact that they were in competition with us. But that's what made it great. You turned out to watch State and Alabama play at Humphrey Coliseum because you wanted to see us win. And, and in, in addition to that, you wanted to see Mark Godfrey and Alabama lose. And when they went out there and shelled us at their place, we came back and had a chance to return the favor here. I mean, it was uh, it was a big deal. And I remember senior day, Charles Rhodes going out there, kissing the M, and then we beat Alabama and we win the West. And it was such a huge day. It was such a great day at Humphrey Coliseum and a great day for Mississippi State men's basketball. We need to get back to those days, whether we have divisions or not. We need to get back to those days when you feel a sense of obligation to turn out for a senior day because you know that you may never see this guy play in maroon and white at Humphrey Coliseum ever again. You go as tribute for his career or her career in women's basketball. You turn out for all of that. We have lost some of that along the way. We need to find a way to recapture it. I don't have the answers, but I long for the days when uh, the hump becomes the most difficult place to play in the SEC again. You guys remember Noah from Florida, and he said in an interview during his career in Florida that the most difficult place to play in the SEC was not Rupp. It was not Bud Walton Arena. It was Humphrey Coliseum. He said, because the fans are right there on top of you, and it's so incredibly loud. It was a real home court advantage. And you guys have seen some of those videos. I'll, I'll write in the next Dark Villains book about the, uh, the 2004 game against Ole Miss when Stansbury was ejected. You've seen those videos floating around, and you see all those kids out there in the white T-shirts and the pom-poms, and it's just it's going crazy. When Stansbury's leaving the court, he's pumping up the crowd, and, and it looks like that the ground is about to open up and swallow Ole Miss whole right there on the floor. Those were great days. I miss those days. I really, really do. I want to remind you guys, too, I made the switch to Hawthorne. You should, too. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O, Hawthorne dot co. You can go by and find everything that you need to look good and smell good as far as men's stuff goes. There's nobody out there that ever tells you how to buy cologne, how to pick out cologne, none of that stuff, how to apply cologne. You can find all that information at Hawthorne dot C-O. There's some young guys that says, you know what, I'm going to check that out. And some of you older guys need to do it too because you're still wearing some antiquated old, you know, gift set stuff that somebody gave you that they picked up at a Winn-Dixie shopping mall supply one day or something like that. Go get something that fits you. Go take the quiz at hawthorne.co. Very, very easy. just takes a couple minutes. They will then pair you up with your preferences and the sense that best fit what you want. It's, it's very, very simple. You should do it. I did it. I love it. You get the body wash. You get the shampoo, the conditioner. You get the face wash. You get cologne. You get the work scent and the play scent. You're going to love it. I'm speaking as a voice of experience. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. Very simple. Boneyard. That'll get you 10% off that first order. I think you're going to want to set up replenishing shipments. But if you want to get you know, one shipment just to get it started and see, you're going to love it. It's the best cologne that I've ever worn. Again, it's hawthorne.co. You know, the top ten list thing has been, um, it, I will say, it's been what I wanted it to be. It has uh, spurned a lot of discussion. I, we had a very spirited discussion about the Southern Rock Band list over on uh, the jeanspage.com message boards. You should go by and, and uh, cast your votes for your favorite bands. And, um uh, some of us kind of disagree who fits a genre. A lot of people said Tom Petty is Southern Rock. I don't know that I agree. I love Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, but I don't consider them Southern Rock just because they've got members in their band from the South. And so uh, one of the things I, in, t- in today's top ten list, I graduated high school in 1990. I know that makes me sound old to many of you. It makes me sound young to many of you. I'm right there in the middle, right there, right there, middle age getting on the back end of middle age, but I plan to live forever, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, I I wanted to talk about 1990, and as I began to do my research for this top 10 list, I I realized there were a lot of iconic albums that were released in 1990, and it it will blow your mind. And I'm going to run through some of these real quickly here before we get to the top 10 list. These are my top 10 albums from the year 1990. 
because it is an incredible, incredible year. One thing that I'll share with you, too, only a handful of albums were actually number one that year. Because many, many of these albums, once they became number one, they um, kind of hung on to it for a long time. Because, you know, incredibly iconic albums. The, uh, the, first, the first album that was number one in 1990 is Phil Collins, but seriously. That's the album that's got Another Day in Paradise and I Wish It Would Rain. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great album if you're a Phil Collins fan. But that's the only time it appears at number one. The next week, Girl, You Know It's True from Millie Vanilli goes back to number one. Then Phil Collins comes back for two more weeks. And then we get Paula Abdul, Forever Your Girl, for basically two straight months, from February 3rd to March 31st. Bonnie Raids the Nick of Time for three straight weeks, number one. Really, really good album. Kind of a return for her. Sinead O'Connor goes to number one from April 28th to June 2nd. I do not want what I have not got. And that's really the only Sinead Connor album that did much of anything. Nothing compares to you, the old Prince song. June 9th through June 23rd, MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Them. That's the You Can't Touch This album and Pray and all that. That, that goes to number one. And then it, it, it takes a one-week hiatus. His New Kids on the Block, Step by Step, has a one-week run at number one. And then Hammer comes back from July 7th to November 3rd. And then the last album, and if memory serves me correctly, this is the first rap album to ever debut at number one. It's Vanilla Ice is to the extreme, from November 10th to December 29th. So you see there are just a handful of albums that actually went number one that year. Really, really big album. I'm going to run down, before I get to my list, I'm going to run down, again, just some of these huge, huge, huge albums that came out in 1990. Um, Slaughter's debut, Stick It To You. And then they had a live album come out later that year. That's the record company really trying to, to kind of capitalize on, on, on all of that. Uh, the Best of Van Morrison came out that year, for those of you that are interested in that sort of stuff. Midnight Oil's Blue Sky Mining came out. Cameos, Real Men Wear Black, and of course Hammer. The Black Crows, Shake Your Money Maker, huge debut album for them. Damn Yankees, that's the, uh, the Ted Nugent uh, Jack Blades, Tommy Shaw, Project. Very, very great album. Belle Bib DeVoe came out with Poison that year. And this is that new edition solo year. You know, Bobby Brown had had some big success. So this year, Belle Bib DeVoe, uh, which was uh, Michael Bibbins and uh, Robert Bell and uh, Ronnie DeVoe, they, they had... Poison come out that year. Ralph Trasvon had an album. Johnny Gill had an album. So that was kind of the beginning of the new Jack Swing. Let's see here. Carly Simon had a covers album that came out that year. Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Just Say Ozzy came out. Depeche Mode's Violator. Let's see here. Um... I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I think it's important. Your Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet, that was a huge, huge, huge album. Tribe Called Quest, Fugazi had an album that year. Billy Idol's Charm Life, that was uh, Rock the Cradle of Love and all that. That was a big summer for us, for sure. Tony, Tony, Tony's uh, The Revival, you may remember those guys. Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. Wilson Phillips. One of Soundgarden's very first albums comes out in 1990. That's the uh, compilation album, Screaming Life. Dio's Lock Up the Wolves is out that year. Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted. Eric B. and Rakim, Let the Rhythm Hit Them. Uh, we had a Jeff Healy album that year, Hell to Pay. Jeff Healy, one of the most talented uh, blues guitar players of that era. You mentioned New Kids on the Block earlier. That They were kind of getting there towards the end of their deal. One of the uh, biggest R&B albums of the time, probably that decade, Keith Sweat's I'll Give All My Love to You came out that year. I had, I, th I think I still have it on cassette somewhere around here. Uh, Nelson's 
after the rain comes out, you may remember the Nelson brothers, identical twins with the uh, iconic long blonde hair. Crosby, Stills, and Nash makes a, uh, a, a reunion of sorts with Live It Up. Many of you, I'm sure, had that. One of my favorite albums of the time that didn't make my list was Suicidal Tendencies, Lights, Camera Revolution, Saw Them in Jackson, Mississippi, opening for Queensryche that year. One of the best shows I've ever seen. Two Love Crew's Band in the USA came out. You might not agree with uh, their brand of music, but that was an important album in many respects because it kind of set uh, some free speech stuff and established some, uh, some, some changes in how music was produced. There's a lot of things that went on with all that. I don't know if you guys remember Dreads Up when, you know, they were kind of a reggae, Led Zeppelin cover band. They had their one of their only albums. John Bon Jovi's solo album from the Young Guns 2 soundtrack, Blaze of Glory, is out that year. Let's see, NWA's 100 Miles and Running. The follow-up is straight out of Compton. If you don't know it, you should check it out. It's a good one. It, I mean, it really is a good one. Firehouse's debut album. You know what a big Firehouse fan that I am. That, that's out. Uh, Garth Brooks' No Fences came out that year. That's uh, Garth Brooks' No Fences. I mean, where, where would we be without Friends in Low Places? It's a huge album. George Michael's Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1 came out. Big album. Soul Asylums and the Horse They Rode In On. Huge album for them. So we could, you know, we could go on, but we're not. I'm, I'm going to get into my top ten here. It's because I think it's important. Uh, to, to keep these things going. There are a lot of big albums that happened that year. So my point is kind of this. 1990 was a year of transition in music, especially in rock, because you had much of the, and, and to call it hair metal is almost disrespectful, but a lot of the 80s metal was beginning to die out, and uh, grunge was kind of on its way in. Things were changing. And my list kind of reflects that, because there were some things that happened in music that... Uh, you know, it changed a lot. You know, one of the, I remember when um, Janny Lane, God rest his soul, said when uh, he went to meet with his record company, when Cherry Pie came out, he walked in and over the, the receptionist desk was a huge picture of the Cherry Pie album cover. And then when Doggy Dog, which was the follow-up album, came out, they went for that same meeting and there was a picture of Alice in Chains Dirt hanging over the uh, receptionist desk. And so... Uh, things were changing in a major way. Oh, one other huge album that I didn't mention, and most of you may have had this, CNC Music Factory's Gonna Make You Sweat. That's right. Everybody dance now. All right, so here is my top ten list. Best albums, my favorite albums. And this is not based on uh, record sales or anything like that. This is my personal preference, my ten favorite albums that were released in the year 1990. And these are all with uh, guitars of some sort. Number 10 on my list is Heartbreak Station from Cinderella. Heartbreak Station's a great album. My favorite song on the album is the title track. I, I believe that it's one of the saddest love songs of all time. Love Heartbreak Station. Love that whole Cinderella catalog. They were not a hair band. They kind of got lumped in early on because of that very first album, Night Songs, and people see them in the spandex with a spiked up hair and that sort of stuff. And they didn't realize all of a sudden you get into Long Cold Winter and these other albums and you realize how bluesy Tom Kiefer was. Great, great, great catalog. Number nine and one of the most iconic albums of all time in the rock scene is Cowboys from Hell from Pantera. I still listen to this regularly. Matter of fact, when this show is over, I'm going to put it on while I'm writing today. Number eight on my list, Razor's Edge from ACDC. Really a big album for them. Kind of kind of retaking their place in rock music. Huge, huge album. Thunderstruck, Money Talks, Are You Ready, Mistress for Christmas. Great album. You know, Brian Johnson, his voice began. This is when this is one of the last big albums before Brian's voice really began to go. Number seven on my list is Empire from Queen I'm a huge Queen's Rag fan. I know some people, they're, they're kind of a progressive rock band, a little bit different. They've done some concept albums. I love all that kind of stuff. Empire, I thought was great. The title track, Empire, of course, Jet City Woman. Um, but Silent Lucidity, I think, is one of the most beautiful songs ever. And, and uh, the song itself is explaining to a young child that woke up from a dream what dreams are. It's a beautiful concept. It's a beautiful song. 
instrumentation is incredible. Number six, I mentioned it earlier, Cherry Pie from Warrant. Really kind of a breakthrough album from them. The Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking, Rich album was a huge smash success with Down Boys and Sometimes She Cries. Cherry Pie comes back with Uncle Tom's Cabin and, of course, Cherry Pie, Mr. Rainmaker, I Saw Red. This, that's probably the Warrant album. When people think of Warrant, they think of Cherry Pie. Number five on this list, one of my favorite albums of all time, Shake Your Money Maker from the Black Crows. I was really looking forward to seeing them this summer. I don't know if it's going to happen now with all this we're dealing with. But Hard to Handle, Jealous Again, Thick and Thin. There's just This is one of those albums you can just put on and push play and then kind of go on about your day and you'll be able to enjoy every song. Number four on the list, and again, one of my favorite albums of all time, Facelift from Alice in Chains. To me, this is an iconic album. Loved Dirt, but I think Facelift kind of got you there. I think without Facelift and Man in the Box and We Die Young and, and all of those, uh, It Ain't Like That is on that album, uh, The Real Thing. There, there's some B-sides on that album. There are as good or better than most of the singles. There's a lot of depth in that album. I mean, it... it Alice in Chains, when I think about those early 90 bands, when we talk about change in music, they were a lot more serious. But they weren't so miserable that uh, they couldn't put on a good show. And there was some of that, you know. Uh, number three is Apple from Mother Love Bone. And there are a lot of people out there that say, well, Steve, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, first and foremost, Alice in Chains' facelift was named and dedicated to Andrew Wood, who was the singer of, of Mother Love Bone. So I could spend a long time talking about this, but I won't. But Mother Love Bone was really kind of them and uh, Screaming Trees, uh, Mud Honey. Those, those guys were kind of the forefathers of the grunge movement. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, it has to be Nirvana. You know my policy about that. Mother Love Bone was doing it before any of those bands. When Nirvana still thought they were a punk band. Um, and so Mother Love Bone eventually became Pearl Jam. After Andrew Wood died, who was Chris Cornell's best friend, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden get together and record Temple of the Dog, and that's based off some lyrics in Andrew Wood's song, Man of Golden Words, on this album, the Love Bone album. This is, this is the album, in many respects, that started it all for the grunge movement, because Andy was really the guy in Seattle that kind of made these things happen. And so if you want to go back and find the infancy of the grunge movement, this is where it's found. Mother Love Bone, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden. Number two on my list, a little different than the rest, is Violator from Depeche Mode. I, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan. They're that bucket list band I haven't seen yet. So one day I'll get to see them. I wanted to go see them at the amphitheater in Birmingham a couple years ago. Couldn't get it together. This was a huge breakthrough album for them. I had been a fan of theirs before. I had some great reward, music for the masses. And then Violator made them kind of a mainstream top 40 band in many respects. Policy of Truth, Enjoy the Silence, Personal Jesus is a, is a great one. I love the album version more so than the radio edit. But this is really when Depeche Mode became a worldwide phenomenon rather than just something in the uh, European dancing. And number one, my favorite album, released in 1990. On behalf of all the long-haired, freaky people who did not apply, it's the five-man acoustical jam from Tesla. Love it. Listen to that, that album regularly. It's one, again, you just put it on and push play. Some great covers on there. Uh, we Can Work It Out, uh, Truckin', Lodi, Mother's Little Helper, and then some acoustic versions of some great Tesla songs. I, I think what they did with, uh, with Paradise is incredible. Go check it out. This is the one, too. Like, Tesla was already big in rock circles. They had the big album, the, the debut, Mechanical Resonance, and then they didn't have a sophomore slump. They really built on that with the great radio controversy, which is one of the, my favorite albums of all time. And again, start to finish, a winner. But then when they did this, when they recorded Signs, because most people had, were not familiar with the five-man electrical band, but Signs, kind of a, an obscure hit. But when MTV started playing that, Tesla went from being a cool opening band to being a headliner. And uh, through, through much of their career after that, they have been. And uh, again, go check it out. It'll bring out some great memories. But that's it, 1990. Your list may vary, uh, but your list will be wrong. I want to remind you, too, that uh, you can always find me on 
all forms of social media. Let me know your opinion. Again, 1990, a great year in music, probably overshadowed in many respects because we were going through such transition. And one of the cool things I thought was interesting in my research, looking at these number one albums, is that the number one best-selling album of 1990 never went to number one, which is crazy to me. And that was uh, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. That it was the top grossing selling album that year, but never went to number one during the calendar year 1990. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it really, really is. But again, a great year in music. Go check it out. I hope that that gives you some, uh, some things to think about today when you're picking your own music. So you don't want to go back and listen to that. I want to remind you, our good friends, Campus Bookmark, Stan, the man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody there will treat you like family because you are family. You can visit them online right now at campusbookmark.net and find the latest and greatest in maroon and white fashions, Mississippi State memorabilia, novelty items, anything you need to outfit your home, your RV, your office, your pet, yourself. Because, Mom, I'm telling you, we want Mississippi State clothing. Nothing would make us happier than at the end of this week that we get a package in the mail with our name on it. And we open it up, and it's got a Mississippi State t-shirt in there. Just giving you a little hint, Mom. We'll make it easy for you. Go to campusbookmark.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. I've had some fluctuations with this recording device today. I hope it's, we don't have any, uh, any issues with that. I apologize if we do. So what's left on the show today? Well, the first thing that I want to take it to uh, before we get into some Alan Walters talk and some quarterback talk is uh, thank you guys again for Stark Villains being on the Missing Bestseller list again. The book was released in October, and here we are about to hit April, and it's still in the top ten books on the Mississippi Reads list. And uh, that's number nine right now, and uh, Mike Leach's Swing Your Sword found the list last last week, so happy to have you aboard, Coach. If you haven't bought your book, you can order it from great bookstores around the state of Mississippi, or you can go to starkvillainsthebook.com, and some of you are doing that, because I, I hear just about every day that we get books going out, uh, and you can get Flim Flam there as well. I had somebody message me yesterday, so they just read Flim Flam for the first time and uh, wanted to let me know what they thought about it, and then uh, very good review. But you can find that book as well right there. And once we have Stark Villains 2, I'm not sure if we call it Stark Villains 2 or if we come up with something else, but you'll be able to, to order everything right there at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Any books that we have, that, that website will remain uh, actually on the domain to BeautifulSteveRobertson.com too. But uh, it seems a little bit pretentious. But uh, all that being said, find the books there. Now, I, I did interview Alan Walters over the weekend. You're thinking, Steve, who's Alan Walters? Alan Walters is the uh, quarterback from Vanderbilt is transferring in. And so his comments were great. He, uh, one of those guys that uh, he will apply for a waiver to be eligible this year. He is not expecting that to happen. He is hopeful, but not expecting. You know, we're all expecting KJ Costello to be the starter at Mississippi State. So Alan Walters' eligibility this year might not be quite the, uh, you know, the, the, the pressing issue. You know, getting our team back on the field is, but uh, Alan Walters says there were some extenuating circumstances surrounding his uh, transfer from Vanderbilt. He actually left back in December, did not report for the spring semester. It's been back at home in New Jersey, kind of working through all this. So uh, you write the article, you put it out there, and people are like, well, how many quarterbacks do we need? Now, the answer to that question is as many as we can get. There's a lot of people out there that I don't think fully appreciate. We're going to have some quarterbacks leave the roster. And then I know what's going to happen. I mean, people in the Facebook groups and on social media saying, oh, we ran these kids off. You know, well, here's what's going to happen at Mississippi State, especially at the quarterback position, is we're going to add multiple quarterbacks just about every year under Mike Leach because that's what he does. That's what he does. He adds walk-ons. He adds grad transfers. He adds junior college guys. He adds competition to the room every single year. He wants competition at every position. He didn't want anybody coasting. He didn't want anybody uh, you know, taking for granted that they've earned anything. But also, too, he wants to build quality depth because it's a physical game. You have a lot of injuries. You can go do your research. I mean, Mike Leach has not started a lot of underclassmen. 
as a head football coach. More times than not, you know, they find a guy and ride with him. But if you look at Washington State, there are a lot of senior starters. The guys that came in and learned the system and paid their dues and then had, you know, one to two years to start. There wasn't a lot of this three- and four-year starter stuff. And uh, I have read with great interest some people that have said, well, I don't think Garrett Schrader is a good fit for this offense. I, I completely disagree. I completely disagree. You know, we went out and signed him because he was a guy that could attack the field down the field vertically. And then he was also a plus runner. We didn't sign him as a running quarterback. And I think there's a misconception because of the fact that last year we ran such a limited playbook that we had to let him run a little bit. And not to mention there were a lot of things that were just on his own. They weren't designed quarterback runs. He, of his own volition and great athleticism, saw an opportunity to go make a play and made it. But we did not sign an option-style quarterback. Garrett Trader is perfectly capable of running the scheme. It's not like we're, I mean, you know, we're going to throw a lot of short passes. We're going to do a lot of quick hitters. We're going to get the ball out clean, and that, that, that's what we're going to do. Garrett Schrader, very capable of running the scheme. And there are people that say, well, you know, I guess Schrader's going to leave. You know, he might leave, but he's not going to leave because he thinks that he's not the right fit for this offense because he very much is the right fit for this offense. He is very much capable of running this. And the very first question, everybody says, well, Steve, who's transferring? We don't know. You know, we have a pretty good idea. And now we don't have the benefit of spring practice. And so that makes it even more difficult for our coaches to make some decisions about these sort of things. Now, there's a couple of guys, as you guys know, that have talked about uh, potentially transferring, Keaton Thompson being one of them. Uh, continue to hear a lot of talk about him in Nickel State. And I am a Keaton fan. I hope that he finds an opportunity to go play quarterback somewhere and goes off and has a great career, gets his college degree, meets his wife, uh, plays football for a little while, and then has a very successful and prosperous life the remainder of his of his days. And I uh, hope he leaves Mississippi State and has some fond remembrances of, uh, of his time here. But the bottom line is is that uh, you know there's only one quarterback on the field more times than not. It's not like playing wide receiver where you go four and five wide. So you play DB and you have four and five guys out there. There's only one quarterback. This is how life works. But you can go ahead and rest assured that Mike Leach, when he sees an opportunity for us to add a good quarterback prospect to the roster, he's going to do it. He is going to have competition in that room. There's not going to be this established pecking order where, okay, well, well you've been here the longest, so you're going to be our starter. That's not how life's going to work. And one of the things that I want to share with you guys, too, that you know, this is not the Cub Scouts. And that, that sounds you know demeaning for me to say that, but there are a lot of people that we begin to place – personalities before principles. Well, I like this kid, and I, I, I want this kid to be our quarterback. You know who I want to be our quarterback? The kid that gives us the best chance to win. Those are the kids that I like. I like them all, but the ones that I favor are the kids that give us the best chance to win. I want everybody to come to Mississippi State and have a great experience, but to expect them all to become starters is just not realistic. That's not how life works. It doesn't work that way in football. It doesn't work that way in real life. Not everybody grows up to be a manager. You know, somebody's got to load the truck. Somebody's got to drive the truck. Somebody's got to cut the grass. Somebody's got to work the sales floor. And as recent weeks have shown us, every job is important. But not everybody's cut out to be a starter. Some guys have got to play special teams. Some guys have got to be a casualty soaker and get out there and carry the ball in the fourth quarter against Abilene Christian when we're winning 45-7 and save some wear and tear on Kyle and Hill. That's an important job, too. But not everybody's going to be on the cover of the media guide. And, and, and one of the things that I'll share with you guys, too, listen, you know, message boards and social media, everybody has become a bit of an expert. Well, this is what I think we should do. Well, you know, to be honest with you and to be blunt, I don't think Mike Leach is conducting an Internet poll of how we should manage a quarterback room. There are going to be some guys leave. There are going to be some people that you like leave this program. But I am a Mississippi State guy first, and then a player's guy second. I like everybody that plays for Mississippi State. I like some more than others. I like those guys that produce a whole lot more. But the bottom line is, is that we go out and we get a kid like this, this is a guy that was a three-star you know, recruit, and he had several offers coming out of high school. And I don't know how legitimate that offer list is or not, but I know this. I know that he signed with Vanderbilt. I know that he signed an SEC scholarship. 
and he went there and he redshirted a year and played sparingly last year and elected to leave. When you get a guy that's had two years of experience practicing the SEC and you can add that guy to your roster for free, you make the call. You simply make the call. You got KJ Costello coming in this year. I think everybody kind of assumes KJ is going to be the starter. We certainly he wouldn't have signed here if he didn't think he was going to be the starter. He didn't sign to spend his final year of eligibility holding the clipboard. But what happens after KJ? So KJ is a stopgap guy. KJ is a guy that comes in that is a polished Power 5 quarterback that can play this year and help us win games this year. Not a few games, but a lot of games this year. While he is winning games for us, Alan Walters and Garrett Schrader and Will Rogers and whoever else is left, Jalen Maiden or whoever, I don't expect KT to be here, but whoever's left will have the benefit of practicing this year under Mike Leach, watching KJ Costello run the offense from the sidelines, then taking that knowledge into spring practice next year and competing for the opportunity to have that job. So this year, everybody learns. But KJ is a guy that comes in, not as a placeholder, but it's a guy that's really a stopgap guy, a very talented stopgap guy that's got a lot to prove. And then next year you you get into it even more. And listen, we're going to sign two quarterbacks this year. Go, I mean, you go, go ahead and get ready. We're going to sound Daniel Greek and hopefully Sawyer Robertson. So we're going to add two more high school quarterbacks to the mix. KJ's going to leave next year, right? Well, it, as things stand now, you're going to return Alan Walters, Garrett Trader, Will Rogers, and then you're going to add two high school quarterbacks to the mix. So this is what people need to get used to. We are going to add multiple quarterbacks to the room, to the practice sessions, every single year. We are going to refine our quarterbacks in the fire of competitive juice. They're going to get out there and they're going to have to compete in meetings. They're going to have to compete in practice. They're going to have to compete in scrimmages. But the days of us just saying, okay, well, this guy won a job as a sophomore, so he's our guy for the next three years. Those days are over. That's just the reality of life. And I don't know that there's any of us, in all due respect to our Facebook and Twitter experts, I don't know that any of us are going to teach Mike Leach anything about evaluating and recruiting quarterbacks. I mean, just call it a hunch. I think he probably knows a whole lot more about the culture within that quarterback room than any of us do. And so I'm going to trust him to do that. John Cohen trusted him enough to hand him the keys to the family Porsche. Let's just all hang on and enjoy the ride rather than be backseat drivers and tell Mike Leach, well, Coach, why did you go out and get this kid? And again, any time that you can add a better player or more competition at a position, especially as important as quarterback, why would you not do that? Competition makes everybody better. If you have to work harder to win the job, you're going to be a better player. I mean, I mean, competition's good for everybody. You know, it's like one of the things that I used to think about, you know, when, uh, you know, even in our own industry, you know, I used to sit up nights. I could barely rest. And I'd always wonder, man, I hope the Clarion Ledger doesn't break this commitment before I do. I hope Rivals doesn't break this commitment. You know, I hope these other independent Mississippi State sites don't break this commitment before I do. And thankfully, I did break most of them. But it kept me up. Competition kept me sharp. I never rested on my laurels because I understood. I didn't want, while other people may not have noticed, I noticed. So if I ever got beat on one, I took that personally. And so I worked that much harder. And I'm sure it's the same thing in your life. There have been people around you that perhaps you, that you didn't like. And perhaps people that brought out the best in you because of the fact that uh, they made you compete harder. They made you work at a higher rate. Because there are a lot of people out there once we reach a com- comfortable standard of living, we, we, we stop pushing. And that's the difference between the, the good and the great. you got to want it all. And uh, I, I am not allergic to any of this stuff. I, I, when I, I am not the least bit surprised that we're adding new quarterbacks regularly. And then people, oh, what about this? What about that? Guys, we're paying Mike Leach a fortune, a king's ransom to run a football program. This is a guy that has won everywhere he's been. He knows what he's doing. Doesn't need our help. Our role is to get out there and bring cowbells and cheer. It's as simple as that. And listen, I know we're going to have varying opinions, but the bottom line is, is Mississippi State's quarterback room 
is going to be better because of the fact that Mike Leach is committed to bringing in the best available players for that position each and every year. And most years, that's going to be multiple players. Multiple players. I mean, just think about this. In the time that Mike Leach has been here, base, I mean, and we, we, he got here, what, January? So in less than three months' time, he has signed Will Rogers. He has signed K.J. Costello. He has brought in Alan Walters from Vanderbilt as a transfer. And then he's got one quarterback committed and about to add another one. So you're five, five quarterbacks in uh, 60 to 90 days. That tells me that the guy that's a quarterback guru looked at our quarterback room and decided, you know what, we got to redo this. we got to redo this. we got to figure this thing out. Maybe we don't have the guys necessary to run our offense. So I'm going to trust the guy that uh, that has put the number one passing offense on the field just about every year the last five years. That's that's the guy I'm going to go with. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know more than he does because I don't. I don't. I, I just enjoy watching us win. I want to win. Ab- above all, I want to win. There are a lot of people out there that say, you know what, well, you know, Steve, I, you know, I want to win at all costs. I don't know that I want to win at all costs, but uh, but I want to win, and I want to win big. And I want Mississippi State to play an exciting brand of football. And what we have seen offensively the last two years at Mississippi State has not been exciting. There were times when Dan Mullen was here, we weren't very exciting on offense. And some of that is because of the fact that uh, our quarterback recruiting at, at times left a little bit to be desired. I'm ready to see us throw the ball around. I'm ready to see 40 and 50 points of ball game. Those, I mean, I, I want to see it. When we go play these FCS schools, I, I, you know, I, I want to see the second, third team quarterback in there throwing for two and 300 yards. You know what I'm saying? I, I want it to be able to go out there and every so often blow somebody's doors off. You know what I'm saying? Just, I mean, just knowing that we're going to go out there and make everybody nervous, that excites me. The fact that we're going to have the air raid offense, and then we're going to have a three-three-five defense, and so people are going to have a week to get ready from two things they ne- for, for they'd never see. We're going to have the element of surprise in many respects. And you know, talking, and I, I talked to Vince Mail over the weekend, and uh, Vince Mail says that you know this this is an offense that uh, is is built for receivers, and it's very very simple. And he goes, there's so many things that happen. In this offense, that uh, once you kind of learn the nuances of it, it becomes like second nature to you. You can, it's a free article. You can go read that over on Gene's page right now. I'm trying to get as much information as we can as we kind of learn Leach and kind of what he expects and what he does and how he coaches and why he does the things that he does. We're going to go through all that stuff. We're making a lot of that stuff free over on Gene's page. You go by and check, take, check it out. Tomorrow, everything is free, VIP and everything. Everybody can go check it out. Everybody. Go do it. But this quarterback room, is, I mean, this, this is the least of our worries, in my mind, because I, I think Garrett Schrader is a winner. And so let's say we go play this year. Let's say K.J. Costello isn't healthy, God forbid. I think Garrett Schrader is capable of getting us to a bowl game. I think Garrett Schrader is a winner. Then K.J. Costello, we know what he can do. This is a guy that's thrown for 6,200 yards in his career. We know what this guy can do. K.J. Costello will probably lead the SEC in passing this year. And so when I begin to think about those things, I say, you know what, we're in good hands. We have capable quarterbacks. We have coaches that know more about coaching quarterbacks than just about anybody in the country. And now it's about putting these receivers together and implementing an offense. So I think there are other things for us to worry about. Finally, before we get out of here, the uh, the vote is going to happen today. And uh, if you guys have kept up, there, there are really three things about spring sports. Is uh, Number one, they could grant everybody an extra year. They could just grant the seniors an extra year. Or they could push the vote back to June, which I think would be selfish and short-sighted. I, I don't think that helps college baseball. I think they're basically, if they do that, they're letting Major League Baseball make the decision for them. There are so many people out there that are scared to make a decision. They're not leaders. There are a lot of people that find them their, their way into these positions that are not in leadership. They're in leadership positions, don't have leadership qualities. 
you just make your own decision. You get it done. You do what's best for your student athletes. You can't depend on somebody else. You can't expect the domino effect. And so I don't know what to expect, but I know that there are some people out there that do not want to fund the scholarships. So the NCAA has got to find to give some relief for these schools. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. We spent a lot of time talking about it. And so by the next time we're together, we'll know what the ruling is. And I'm kind of happy for this to be over, not just because of the fact that it'll give some clarity for college coaches around the country and some players, because there's some seniors out there that are thinking, okay, do I need to go ahead and take a job? Or do I plan on coming back and playing next year? Those are all very important topics of discussion. But I am ready to get this tabled and all of us kind of move forward knowing what we're dealing with. And I know nobody's probably um, more eager about that than the, the head baseball coaches around the country. Spoke to Chris Lamonis about this, and he goes, you know, we don't know what the rules are going to be, so we don't even know what our roster looks like for next year. We don't know. And so you, when you begin to think about your recruiting needs and that sort of stuff, you know, it's, just, it's one of those things you look at. You, you need some clarity on that, and hopefully they give it to them today. I think pushing this thing off to June is just – it's weak. If they push it off, that is, that is the wrong decision. It's weak. It's bad for college baseball. The people that are in charge with this, I believe, they need to go ahead and make a decision now. You vote. You get the thing done. You move forward, and everybody knows where you stand. I'm a firm believer, just give me all my misery one time at once. Just go ahead and give it all to me now, and then I'll figure out how to deal with it. And so hopefully that's what happens. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Wednesday, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what happened and uh, what else is going on in Mississippi State sports. A lot of people have asked, you know, Steve, are we going to play football? You know, nobody knows. But the people that I've talked to are planning on us playing football. You know, nobody really knows what's going to happen. You know, the president came out today, and they're, they're extending the, the restrictions for another month, hopeful that uh, we get some some things back up and moving again June 1. Uh, like all of you, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and this is the thing that I worry about. You know, what happens a month from now when people run out of money? Uh, that, that's going to be the bigger issue. There are a lot of people out there that uh, they aren't working right now, or they've been laid off, or their their businesses are closed, and uh, they're going to be unemployment for a little while. But you still got the mortgage to pay, and you still got kids to feed. You know what happens then a month from now? Because there are a lot of people right now, so okay, well, I have a little bit in my savings, and I'm still working a little bit, and they cut me back a shift or whatever. Yeah, but what happens? And I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on everybody to kind of get the, the ball rolling again. And so I don't have any easy answers on this. Nobody else does. But uh, no, anybody that tells you that we are going to play football is wrong. And anybody that tells you we aren't playing football is wrong because nobody knows for sure. But I think football is important to this country. And a lot can a lot can happen in 30 to 45 days, as we've learned. You know, at this point, we, we, we would have already played the SEC tournament and be playing basketball. And like all of you, I long for those days when we have some normalcy again. I went to Walmart yesterday for the first time in three weeks. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And that's the thing from all of this. It's, um, it's made us all see each other as unclean. And uh, that is unfortunate. And, uh, you know, I have so many people to come up and say hello, and you want to give everybody the fist bump and sit there and visit, and you just can't do it. You just can't. You know, i got kids i got to take care of. i got people that depend on me. you got to take care of ourselves. And finally, before we get out of here, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give you a quick update on David Johnson. The latest news on Dave is very good. Dave, uh, our friend from the Old Miss Spirit, works for 247 Sports. Dave was with us in Nashville. Dave sat next to me uh, the full day of the conference. Dave was sick. I didn't get sick. And I know that Dave would do anything and trade places with me. I know Dave, and that's one of the reasons that I work as hard as I do, to be honest with you. I've always been a hard worker, but this has been a very emotional time for me. And I thought, you know, why didn't I get sick? And so I don't take any of that for granted. I look at every bit of this and I say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make that extra call today. I'm going to make that extra interview today. Because I know that David Johnson would give anything to be at home with his family talking to football recruits or talking to football coaches about sports. I know that he would because I know the kind of man he is. So I'm not going to sit back and just say, oh, well, best of luck, Dave. I'm going to work even harder, kind of in tribute to Dave, because I don't take any of this for granted. 
And there were so many things in my life that I took for granted. And you know, and that's human nature, I guess, for many of us. You know, I remember thinking, I never complained about going to a baseball game. Sometimes I would complain about the food. And I know that that, that sounds short-sighted. Well, Steve, you're getting free food, you can't complain. One more time than not, I went out to the, to the trucks and got my own food. But man, I tell you what. There's not a lot I wouldn't do right now to be able to go out to Drake Noble Field and watch us play uh, a midweek game and uh, sit there and, and eat cookies from Subway and feel good about life. And uh, I think I've handled all this pretty well, and I, and I hope most of you have too, but uh, I miss many of the things that we love. I miss being able to go to rock concerts. I miss being able to get get in the car on a Friday and say, you know what, hey, let's ride over here to Birmingham, or let's ride down to Biloxi and go see Whitesnake, or let's go see Great White, or let's go do this. Let's just pick up and go. I miss the spontaneity of life. I miss being able to go to my friend's house and have a barbecue. I miss those things. And I took a lot of that for granted. A lot of times it's like, well, okay, we're, all, we're going over to so-and-so's need. Okay, great. But, man, I miss that stuff. I really do. There are a lot of things I do around here to kind of occupy my mind. And Netflix has been great. I'm almost done with season two of Ozark. You guys finally got me on the bandwagon. But it's one of those things where I think there are so many of these things that have happened in our lives that have given us a real appreciation for who we are, what we stand for, and what really matters most. And so Dave is doing better. Still on event. But he's made some progress. We are hopeful that he makes full recovery. We're claiming that now. And his benefit. We're claiming that now. That Dave's going to make a full recovery. And uh, I look forward to talking to him. I look forward to him uh, returning to work. More importantly, for him having a chance to get back to a normal life. Because I can assure you, what we're dealing with now, the new normal we have, is certainly what he would prefer over what he's dealing with. Well, folks, that's going to do it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies. And people can see a difference in the way we live.